Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, a final festive painful truth for the year, looking back over what has been a disconcerting and discombobulating 2020. I'll say a little bit more later on about what to expect over the next few weeks, uh, over the Christmas holidays, and what I'll be doing painful truth-wise. But on to today's edition, which I've called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Well, just when we thought we were mooching towards a passably standard Christmas, we find ourselves once more, certainly in my part of the world, in a state of COVID anxiety. Will we be allowed to gather for Christmas services? Will Christmas lunch go ahead? Will we ever see our relatives again? There is some cause for hope, of course. I mean, for example, will we ever see our relatives again? But the general mood is one of weariness and dislocation and anxiety, and it sends Christmas preachers and commentators and even your humble correspondent off to their kit bag of cliches to describe what's going on. Everything, of course, is unprecedented. Plans have been thrown into disarray. And I've heard this phrase a few times this year, things fall apart, the centre cannot hold. And that final overused phrase, which has been wheeled out more than once during 2020, comes from one of the most quoted and rummaged through poems of the 20th century, The Second Coming by William Butler Yeats. It was written in the aftermath of the First World War in 1919, and of course the Bolshevik, uh, the Russian Revolution, had just happened as well. It's a poem written in the midst of a disintegrating world where everything is falling apart, where innocence has been drowned in blood, and where any pretense that our comfortable Western culture has some authoritative centre or voice to guide it is now lost and abandoned. Uh, here is the famous first stanza of Yeats's poem. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the centre cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. This was Yeats' perspective in 1919. But in 2020, we look back over our year, and rarely has a year felt more as if things are falling apart, and that there is no centre to our culture. But the less well-known second stanza of the poem looks ahead. It looks with dread on what might be coming to fill the void. A second coming, not of Christ, but of a nameless beast, stepping out of the apocalyptic visions of the Old Testament to wreak havoc. The second stanza reads, Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly are those words out. When a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight, somewhere in sands of the desert, a shape with a lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, while all about it reel shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that twenty centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast! Its hour come round at last, 
slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. What dread future did Yates see coming? What was that beast? Was it the rise of National Socialism in Germany? Was it the rise of communism around the world? Was it the juggernaut of modern Western high-tech capitalism? We tend to read our own worst nightmares into the figure of that pitiless beast that Yeats prophesied, making its terrible, inexorable, slouching way towards the centre of our culture, the place that Bethlehem once occupied. Like all really great poems, the second coming does name something that's true in our experience and in our world, and it does it in a way that somehow says more than the words themselves say. It captures that emptiness that we do recognise at the centre of modern life and politics and culture. We no longer hear an authoritative voice. The best of us wearily resign ourselves to this fact and make the best of a world without any central truth. The worst of us rush to occupy that void for our own exploitative ends. And in some ways, the sentimental kind of Christmas that we now have, the modern consumerist fairly empty Christmas, only reminds us of what has been lost at the centre of our culture. Instead of celebrating the birth of a king sent from outside to save and to rule, we celebrate ourselves and our families and our insatiable capacity for getting and spending. The interesting thing, though, about the sense of loss in Yeats's poem is that it's very passive. It's as if it's nobody's fault. The falcon is not to blame because it's ever-widening spirals. Uh, and that's, by the way, what a gyre is, if you're wondering, in the widening gyre. A gyre is a spiral. The images of a falcon spiralling wider and wider away and beyond the reach of its master's voice. And that's hardly the falcon's fault. No one seems to be culpable for the breakdown of the centre and for things falling apart. Anarchy and... The blood-dimmed tide are loosed. Innocence is drowned. It's all passive voice. The verbs are all passive. Like the falcon himself, I guess. Standing, calling, impotent to reach the falcon anymore with his voice. In common with, with many other modern and postmodern observers of this phenomenon, of the loss of a centre in Western culture, a Christian centre, in common with them, Yeats seems unwilling to admit any culpability. It seems to have just happened passively. He glides past the conscious and relentless rejection of the Christian truth, of Christian revelation, by Western society over the previous two centuries. It's not that the falconer's voice has somehow just become distant and dim, left behind by the, the glorious progress of the falcon, it's that we've deliberately flown away from him. We've closed our ears to his voice. And we flatly refuse to acknowledge that the Lion of Judah has already come and is seated on his throne. For Yeats, there doesn't seem to be any going back. There's just the dread prospect of what might be coming to fill the gap. But going back, or repentance as it's otherwise known, is really the only valid response. If the Son of God has indeed come and lived and died and risen and been appointed as the Lord and Saviour of all. And I guess frustratingly for those of us who have put our trust in this Lord, turning back to Christ 
is a door that Western culture now considers closed. And yet it's the only door through which salvation can be found. And of course he knocks at that door, the Son, and he will come in the door sometime soon to judge and to save. And when the Lion of Judah does come again, he will come looking like a lamb that was slain, as Revelation reminds us. His gaze will not be blank and pitiless, but piercing and merciful, full at the same time of both justice and forgiveness. And if that seems like an impossibly strange image of of our future, of a fierce and regal lion coming with the look of a lamb that was slain, it's no more strange or incongruous than the stunning contrast we remember at this time of year. Born of a woman, born as a man, God in a manger. Well, as a good Anglican, I am full of most humble and hearty thanks for God's goodness and kindness over this last strange year. I'm sure many of you have experienced his kindness as well. And I'm especially thankful for all that he's done through your kindness and support for The Painful Truth during 2020. I'm really grateful for everyone who's signed up to the list, uh, for everyone who's emailed and commented over the year and supported me in that way as well, and also particularly for everyone who's become a partner of The Painful Truth and supported this whole thing financially as well. It's been quite an adventure and experiment for me to get this up and running and to start this way of not only writing regularly but supporting my, my broader writing ministry. I'm really grateful for how the experiment's gone so far. And if you'd like to be involved in it and to support the work I do, not only here at The Painful Truth, but beyond and the other things that I'm writing, then it's not very hard to do. You just go across to The Painful Truth website. That's thepainfultruth.online. And you can see there very easily how to subscribe and follow the options to contribute a few dollars each month to keep the whole thing going. Well, it's that time of the year when I think we all deserve a little bit of a break. Uh, Me from producing these things, you from listening to me. And so here's what I'm planning over the next few weeks. Uh, Later on this week, before I clock off for the year, I'll send round uh, to the partner list a very close to final draft of the revised Two Ways to Live outline that I've been working on this year and that many of you have already given very useful feedback about. I thought you'd like to see where it's got to at this final stage of the year. It's nearly there, and I'd be very grateful for any final comments or thoughts that you had on it. But that'll go out to those on the partner list, which is another little reason to subscribe to that list if you haven't done so. So I'll send it out later this week and then have a little bit of a break for a couple of weeks. And in early January, I'll start rolling out a little series of kind of more lighthearted holiday reading kind of articles for a few weeks. Uh, These will be taken from some musty old pieces that I've found lying in the vault of articles on my hard drive, and then I'm going to spruce up and roll out. They may or may not have something to do with golf, which seems appropriate for summer holidays, but I'm sure you'll enjoy them nevertheless. And these will go out to everybody. I mean, it's Christmas after all. I'll send them out to everyone in the first few weeks of January. And then I'll get back to it in earnest with the first proper edition of The Painful Truth, towards the end of January in 2021. And until then, may God bless you with rest and rejoicing as we remember the coming of his son. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. 